Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Zohar in 15. My name is David Fournier, the Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. And whether you're joining me live or archive, thank you so much for coming out and supporting the show. Really, really appreciate it. My hope and prayer is that you'll get something unique, new, and exciting to assist you on your spiritual journey. We're going to be studying this week in um, the Zohar Volume 7, Portion Vayika, Chapter 82, Verse uh, number 823. You can find that on page 440. And Chapter 85 also, Verse 849 and page 453. Our subject this morning is we want to talk about always counting the cost. Always counting the cost. So many times in our life, physically, in the physical realm, and also in our spiritual lives, we make decisions without really thinking it through. Now, sometimes these decisions aren't big problems. Like when you're at Denny's and the guy says, would you like some bacon in your chocolate sundae? For some reason, that sounds good to you, and you try it, and, you, and it's the best thing ever or the thing you hate the most. Those decisions aren't the ones I'm talking about. I'm talking about looking at the decisions we make in our spiritual life, not being blind sheep, simply following somebody else's path, but really having to make mention of it. I want to read to you just a couple of verses. This one out of the New Testament documents out of the Bible. Here is Jesus uh, saying these words in uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 32. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation, he's not able to finish it. All who observe it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. And then in the Old Covenant documents, coming uh, back to Proverbs, Chapter 20, and verse number 18, it says, Prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. Really thinking things through it, really coming to an understanding of, of why we would do this. Now, how many times do we say something, do something, or get something, and later we come back to really regret it? Well, let's take a look at a couple of reasons real quick. Number one is sometimes we regret that we said something or did something because we didn't mean it. It was kind of an ego response. Uh, it's that part of you that comes up and says, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, watch this. Let me tell you. And whenever you sense that coming up, whenever you feel uh, attacked, whenever you sense, um, you know, that hackles on the back of your neck, the hair start to stand up and your tail gets real straight because you're feeling that challenge, that's a great opportunity sent to you by God, sent to you by the light of the Creator, for you to be able to, to, to put that part of your ego away, to really think about, well, what hang saying, hand. 
I might be getting some real words of wisdom here, but I also need to be in a place to prepare to receive it. Maybe what we did was it was defensive or deflective. We were protecting ourselves. Yeah, well, you may think like that, but what about you? What about this? What about that? Many times things happen in our lives and we get very deflective with it. We refer to that as the Teflon response. Nothing really sticks to it. And the third thing, and maybe perhaps the most common of these, is that we gave a short-term answer without really knowing the cost. Have you ever said yes to something you really didn't want to do? Um, I'm known as an individual that doesn't usually agree to do things I don't want to do. As a matter of fact, um, I've had the title antisocial uh, pinned on me every once in a while. Fair enough. Names are names. But have you ever just done something because you didn't know how long it was going to take? Or somebody kind of gave you some information that wasn't really all that correct. Often our statements, often statements that are said with the best intent, well, best of intent, sometimes without the best of intent, have horrific consequences. We need to always be counting the cost. Now, I'm not talking about something very small. Again, like I said, whether you want bacon on your hot fudge Sunday or not, that's not going to be the end of your life. I'm talking about decisions that we make about where we worship and, and what we worship and, and what kind of attitudes and frames of mind that we approach that with. I remember when AIDS first came to public awareness. Um, I remember that many prominent Christian leaders said it was God's judgment against homosexuals. I remember that. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, all right, well, they must know what they're talking about. But that that worked, and everybody got fired up with it until the day children started dying from it, until the day that everyday people started dying from it, until the day that one-night stands started dying from it, until the day that the people that had no association whatsoever with homosexuality started dying from it. By the way, I just want to make it clear that I do not believe, and I never have believed, that AIDS is God's judgment upon the homosexuals. Because if it's true that it really is, then God's a lousy shot. Because a lot of people that have died from it or suffered from it or are suffering from it today have nothing to do with that. And, and to kind of catch that part of uh, the angle of it back again, it all comes back to somebody who said something that sounded reasonable or sounded like it was there. But yet it drove a tremendous wedge between the Christian community and between, homo- and between homosexuals. A wedge that today is being battled out in the courts, being battled out in churches, being battled out everywhere. Um, based on our responses about the idea of civil union or same-sex marriage. When King Saul disobeyed God, when he went into into Amalek and did not destroy everything that he was told to destroy, and you guys remember the famous story where the prophet comes and challenges Saul and says to him, um, he goes, what is that bleeding of the sheep that I hear? And there was a big conversation going on with that. When he disobeyed him, later Saul is killed on the battlefield by an Amalekite which is a great lesson that teaches is that sometimes what we should have put out of our lives will come back later to kill us a story for another day. But Saul underestimated the cost of his decision. It cost him the kingship of Israel and eventually cost him his life. Now in the Zohar, in our portion, on page 440, in verse number 823, is this seemingly kind of meaningless verse, this verse that you read and you go, well, what in the world are they talking about? This must be some kind of spiritual part of it. I'll read the verse to you, and then we'll talk about some narratives. When Rabbi Shimon explained the verses, they went out of the cave where they sat. And he said, I see today a house in, a t- in the town will collapse, and two Roman informers will be killed, will die there. If I will be in town, the house will not fall, for my merit will protect them. They returned to the cave, for he did not wish to return to his town, and that, the, that his merit will protect him, but that the house should fall, and the informers should be killed, and they sat back down. 
I'll be right back after this brief commercial break. Looking for something different at your next retreat, Bible study, or weekend seminar? Restoring Grace could be the answer for you. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace, and we gladly support, encourage, and minister in many churches across the country. You can reach me at Dave at RestoringGrace.com. Again, that's Dave at RestoringGrace.com. Or you can call 719-233-6265. 719-233-6265 for your next upcoming event. So in the verse that we just read, Rabbi Shimon talks about it. So let me give you a little history real quick about what's happening. The cave that he's talking about, this cave is legend. And maybe it happened, maybe it don't, we don't know. But in the legend of the writing of the Zohar, the legend says that Rabbi Shimon hides in this cave for 13 years. And he's evading Roman pursuit because there's a death warrant for him. If you've ever heard of the famous Rabbi Akiva, it is said that Rabbi Shimon is one of Rabbi Akiva's students. And in this cave, he has 10 men with him. And some people were doing readings and some people were, were doing different things and talking. And that's where the Zohar was written. So we, we read here that he comes out of the cave. Uh, evidently, they, they, all signs were clear that they could come out. They come out of the, the uh, cave, and they're going to head into town. And he says, no, wait a minute. If I go into this town, my merit, and again, that's another story for another day, but my merit will stop this from happening. And so we find here that, that he's going to go in this cave, and his presence is going to present it. So he decides, he decides that... Um, what he'll do is go back in the cave and go ahead and let this event happen. And that's where this verse ends. It ends right there. After all, I mean, all these Roman informers, they all deserve to die, right? Interesting enough, 13 pages later, and this is on page 453, but 13 pages later, we wind up with a rather interesting, after a long and healthy discourse on the cup of blessing, we stumble upon, again, another verse that seems somewhat unrelated to those last 13 pages, but heavily related to the conversation that we just had. Let me read you verse 849. They all rose and kissed his hands and said, Blessed be the merciful one who brought us here to hear these words. They came out of the cave and they went. When they reached the town, they saw dead men upon whom a house had fallen. They sat and saw people who mourned those who died along with the Roman, for the house collapsed upon Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, so going back to verse number 840, going back to 840 that we talked about earlier, I'm sorry, um, 823, apologize for that, talking about that verse earlier, what happened there was they come out of the cave, and Rabbi Shimon suspects that he gets this premonition, this feeling that this is going to happen. He comes back and he says, I'm going to go back in the cave, I don't want to prevent this from happening. And yet what we find out later is, upon coming up on the scene and seeing what's happening, these men have died. Just like Rabbi Shimon had said, a house fell, just like Rabbi Shimon had said, he sees people mourning in the town. So here's the first question. Who would mourn the death of Roman informers? No one's going to mourn the death of Roman informers. As a matter of fact, they're going to celebrate that death. They're going to say, well, they had it coming. This, this and that was the act of God. But it doesn't tell us that just the Roman informers died it says that it killed Jew and Gentile alike. Now, the chapter in our story ends right there. It ends right there with no explanation offered whatsoever. Chapter 86 starts about the threshing floor of a Todd, and we move forward from there. Now, my teacher, Rabbi Hilbrand, he says that the Torah 
and the commentaries lay the Jewish people bare. They lay the Jewish stories bare. No cover, no hidden, no uh, you know hidden backdrops, no cover-ups. This is interesting that we would get this piece of information. The Roman informers died, just like Rabbi Shimon said they would. But dying along with them were, Jew, were, were the Jews. They died alike, and it caused great mourning. It caused great pain and great suffering. Sometimes in our, sometimes in our lives, when we have these kinds of these kinds of suffering and these kinds of problems, we say these things, what happens is we wind up suffering loss on, on another side we never thought of. We've got to count the cost. Now, again, were the Jews that died, were they cohorts to these Roman informers? We don't know. We don't know the answer to that. But we are perfectly ready to allow people to die spiritually to preserve our spiritual ground. We are perfectly willing to assail and assault people because they feel different or think different than we do, thinking, well, that's them and this is us. If there's one thing that Kabbalah teaches... It is that there is no us in them, that everything is intimately connected, that when somebody dies a violent death in, in Baha'i or something happens in a whole other world somewhere else, we think, oh, that was too bad that happened to them. It affects us. Our words affect other people. Our attitudes affect other people. Our lives affect other people. And you cannot, you cannot just simply say, oh, that person's evil. We're going to eradicate them from the earth. If you know much about Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the wheat and the tares that Jesus teaches, when they find out, in this parable, when they find out that somebody came and sowed weeds among the, the actual crop they were looking for, the instant reaction was to go in there and just rip out this, these, these tares, rip them out. But the commentary says, no, no, let them live together. Let those guys live on. And when it becomes more clear what they are, then we'll go in and we'll separate them. So Rabbi Shimon says those house has, has Roman informers in it. He was absolutely correct. But not only did it have Roman informers in it, it also had Jews who died a lot, died the same way. We don't know if those are, are cohorts or not. The story doesn't tell us. But here's what we do know. We do know that we need to count the cost because our battles, our spiritual differences, are taking out people on both sides. And this is a great loss for us all. We worry so much about, oh, let's bring people to Jesus. Let's bring people to Jesus. We often forget about the people we turn off from Jesus simply from our harsh words and our harsh actions. We need to count the cost, and we need to remember to remove reckless chatter and think of others. There are many people, I say this boldly, there are many people out there today who are suffering great loss because we think we have shot the enemy, but in, in turn, we shot them alongside of it. We need to count the cost. We need to have caution with our words and caution with our behaviors. My name is David Fournier. I'm one of the instructors here at Restoring Grace. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of Zohar in 15. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.